Hello, it's Samuel, and this time I am coming to you from my sister's closet. The second season of Relatively Prime could not have happened if 340 absolutely wonderful, truly special, amazing, awesome, and so many other positive adjectives people hadn't decided that they wanted to dig in between their couch cushions and give me all of their spare money. People like Ben Seidenstecker, David McKenna, Milo, Pat Cartelli, and Lynn Miller, as well as my Kickstarter producers, Daniel Murphy and Edmund Harris. And if you want to help out in the same way, now is your chance, because Rel Prime is on Kickstarter again. This time we're trying to get money for a third season. A season which will feature stories about setting up lotteries to distribute licenses for marijuana shops, how network theory might help us get a better understanding of cancer, and why rally racers really like a specific old mechanical calculator, and a ton of other stories, because this time Relatively Prime will be going monthly, starting on March 31st. That's barely a month away. The third season will start, and then there will be 12 episodes, one a month for a year featuring the best stories from the world of mathematics. But only if the Kickstarter gets funded. If we don't reach our goal, there will be no more episodes. And that will make me really sad. I really want to make you more episodes. And I'm sure that it will make you sad too, because you want to hear more from the domain of mathematics. So please make sure that we all get a chance to hear these wonderful stories by heading over to relprime.com Kickstarter and pledging your support for more mathematics and more stories from the mathematical domain. Thank you so much for your support. It really means so much that I get to do this because of people like you who support the show. Really, I couldn't ask for better bosses than all of you. And now, for Relatively Prime, Diegetic Plots, Chapter 2. As you probably know, I spent a huge amount of my time scouring the internet looking for any story about mathematics. So when I found executive summaries from less than successful mathematical grant applications, you can guess how excited I was. Throughout this episode, I'm going to share a few of them with you. The first one is... Oh, come on. Where is it? No, that's not it. Oh, there it is. The first one is Funerary Network Analysis. July 15th, 2012. Social network analysis is a hot topic within both mathematics and the social sciences, but all of the research thus far has focused on identifying networks that exist within current communities. This leaves the majority of social networks that have existed throughout the history of the world outside of the realm of study. Therefore, our proposal is to leverage the existing physical network data embedded in the graveyards around Boston to develop a model of the social dynamics of pre-revolutionary times. How did that not get funded? That's a brilliant idea. Absolutely brilliant. You know what? If I had money, I, I would give it to those guys. This is Relatively Prime. Sketches and Haiku from the Mathematical Domain. I am Samuel Hansen. Hello and welcome to the final episode of the second season of Relatively Prime. 
This season has been such a blast. I've been so happy to bring you stories about US presidents and SimCity and cake cutting and mathematical mime and optimal dating and math fiction and what exactly it is that mathematicians do all day long. For this last episode, I bring to you the second chapter of Diegetic Plots, the series within Relatively Prime, where we explore the intersection of mathematics and humanities. This time around, I have for you the story of what happens when you use haiku as a method of procrastination when you should be writing your dissertation. A dramatization of how theorems are brought into this world, and an exploration of all the different continuums you might possibly want to rate your feelings on, as well as a few more less than successful grant applications. But first, I want to share something with you. Ever since I heard those wonderful mathematical poems that were on the first chapter of Diegetic Plots, I've been working on putting together a mathematical poem of my own. This is what I've come up with. I hope you all enjoy it. I'll take the calculus of your body and derivate your soul. Math rules the world, so I am in control, mathematically factoring your being into constituent parts. Biological imperative aside, math is an art, an art form of transformation machinations. Universal language needs no translation, and baby, you know that I can grok it. I can take the whole world and make it fold to fit. Perspectives become skewed by my radical geometries. Hyperbolic lines all curve and come back, you see. My body? It's a whole point of singularity. No function is defined too close to me. Forget the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. Way past the real, the imaginary is where I tend the complex ley lines of Riemann zeta. And that, that alone proves the power of my meta fours the number of the neutral axioms. Euclid needed five to earn his per diem. Personally, I only need three. But that's not here nor there. The power of mathematics, that's, that's mine to share. I'll take the calculus of your body and integrate your soul. Math rules the world and I am out of control, topologically transfiguring magic into physics. My influence alone, turning scientists into mystics, forgetting Newton's mathematics and remembering his alchemy, transmuting lead into gold all thanks to me. I alter all in my grasp, yeah? You should fear. I carry number theory in my holster and algebra in my bandolier. My power is so continuous, it's beyond limit. I see no need to be discreet. It was I who blew past Zeno's tortoise on my way to shave the barber of Seville. You can trust me when I tell you that I am a liar. And I'm sorry, but there is no vacancy at Hilbert's hotel. I just booked the last room. In the end, 362 pages weren't enough for Russell and Whitehead to prove that I was their nightmare. And please, please don't expect me to care. The power of mathematics is mine, and I, I, I don't plan to share.
It's okay, honey. You're almost there. It's splitting me wide open. You can do it, honey. What did I do to deserve this? They had met in the math lounge while grad students. Although Karen was an algebraic geometer and Jeff was a number theorist, it didn't seem to matter. Their love transcended the bounds of their respective mathematical specializations. But little was expected of the union. Dr. Sylvia Vittle, Karen's advisor, had urged her to reconsider. There are lots of strong algebraic geometers out there. Look at Brogan from UCLA or Stigelmeyer from Brown. Why settle for a number theorist? But Karen knew her heart, and the two were married three weeks after they both received their PhDs. One morning, four months into the marriage, as they sat at the kitchen table sipping their morning coffee, Karen cleared her throat. <coughs> Jeff looked up from his morning paper, Zero Free Regions for Dirichlet L Functions. There's something I want to tell you. Yes, honey. What is it? Remember that night two months ago when we stayed up until three in the morning talking about jet bundles? Who could forget it? Well, about three weeks later, I found myself having trouble sleeping at night. Yes? I just couldn't seem to get some of the ideas out of my head. I was waking up in the morning feeling lousy. Uh-huh. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think I may be with Theorem. Oh my god, really? You think so? How can we find out for sure? Well, I have a test that Dr. Vittle gave me, just a set of possible counterexamples. We can see if it withstands them. Okay, definitely. Let's do it. Should I do anything? No, just wait here. I can do it in the study. It shouldn't take more than 15 minutes. After waiting impatiently for 10 minutes, Jeff knocked on the door. Karen, are you doing okay? Just one more counterexample to try, honey. Shouldn't take much longer. So? It's true. I am with Theorem. Yahoo! We're going to be published! <laughs> the next day, they made an appointment with Dr. Vittle. Well, yes, it is unusual, but it is not unheard of. Look at the Audia Singer Index Theorem. That was a product of a topologist and an analyst. But these matches are risky. I want to put you on a strict regimen of 10 pages of algebraic number theory a day, say Cohen's book. And when it is time for the theorem to come, it is important to be ready. Have you considered taking a Lemus class? They are good preparation mentally and physically for the big event. Karen woke in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. <coughs> Calculations raced through her head. It appeared that the kernel of the Sofklitz operator was in fact a left R module. She grabbed Jeff's arm. Jeff, Jeff, wake up. I think it's here. <gasps> okay, look, stay calm. I'll call Dr. Vittle. We can meet her down at the university. You get dressed. They arrived at the university and raced up to the faculty lounge. Dr. Vittle was waiting for them there with several clean pads of paper. Here, you sit here. Are you going to be here through the whole process? It's as much my theorem as hers. <sighs> Just like a number theorist. You make one small contribution nine months ago and you think you've done all the work. Hey, that contribution nine months ago was key. Without it, there would be no theorem. Yes, but I don't see you in much pain right now. You don't like me very much, do you? Don't take it personally. I don't like any number theorist. I'm going to go down to my office, but I will check on you in a bit. What's our problem with number theorists? Don't you know? 
She was collaborating with Smythe, and one day he saw a talk on wavelets, the hot new thing, dumped Dr. Vittle like a sack of old conjectures. She swore she would never get involved with another number theorist for as long as she lives. Jeff, this is it. Quick, get Dr. Vittle. Symbols spilled out on the page. It was agonizing and amazing. John flew down the stairs three at a time and returned almost immediately with Dr. Vittle. Karen was writing furiously. Ah, yes, things are going well. It looks like a big one. I see it all. Oh my god. It's huge. It's okay. Relax and just let it come out. Are you all right? Of course she's all right. Let her rest. She's just given birth. Oh, where is it? Can I hold my theorem? Of course you can. It's really beautiful, isn't it? It's a healthy theorem. Probably 9 to 10 pages in 12-point type. What will you name it? Well, we were thinking of calling it the Bounded Cogeneration Theorem, but after what we've just been through, I was thinking maybe the Constrained Optimization Theorem. I think that's a wonderful name, honey. Well, I would like to keep an eye on it tonight. Make sure it's robust enough to stand up to the referees. And then in the morning, we will send it to the Annals of Mathematics. The Annals? Even in my wildest dreams, I didn't imagine... Oh, Karen, I love you. The two hugged each other, cradling the theorem between them. And even Dr. Vittle smiled. You just heard Etta Devine as Karen, Gabriel Diani as Jeff, Takura McCullough as Dr. Vittle, and Rob Schultz as the narrator, performing A Difficult Delivery, written by Colin Adams, one of his pieces of mathematically bent theater. And now for another... There it is. Less than successful grant application. The Prattfall Equation, September 12, 1999. Physical comedy has shown itself to be both the only universal and the only timeless form of comedy. While spoken comedy varies across time from one-liners to observational humor, a man slipping and falling on a banana peel is as funny to a Canadian as it is to someone from Taiwan. We are an elite team of social psychologists, performers, kinesiologists, statisticians, and mathematical modelers. And our single goal is to create the equation for the perfect pratfall. We plan to use a double-blind study where performers fall in a variety of manners, for a variety of reasons, in a variety of situations, and then give the results of that study to the statisticians for analysis from which our modelers will create a simple equation so that all of us will also be able to perform the perfect pratfall. Yeah, that one makes more sense as to why they didn't get money. Yeah.
did you actually get in touch with anyone else? Uh, yeah, uh, both Courtney and Andrew. Okay. So I, I just need to link them up into the call, and then we can, you know, start everything. Cool. Andrew Gainer Dwarf. Uh, hello, Andrew. This is Samuel. Hi there. Hello. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Doing, doing, uh, well, uh, Ellie, can you also hear Andrew? Courtney, can. Hi, Andrew. Hello, Courtney. Hello. Hi. Uh, and Hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> yeah, this, this, uh, I mean, four people on the phone at once. Uh, I, I will warn everyone that this will, uh, we will be stepping on top of each other. Uh, okay. And do not worry about that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, are there any uh, questions or anything from y'all to me before uh, before we start uh, talking about math haikus? No, I don't have any. No. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so the first thing, uh, uh, in order of uh, people who were uh, connected, what I'm going to need you to do is uh, to please say your name and then uh, your position or however you like to be introduced. Uh, can we do that? Sure. Uh, I'm Helene Tyler, and uh, I'm a math professor at Manhattan College. I'm Andrew Gaynor DeWar. I'm a visiting assistant professor at Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Western New York. I'm Courtney Gibbons. I'm a I'm an assistant professor at Hamilton College in Clinton, New York. Well, now now I feel like I should do that again because they were much snappier. Okay, if if you want to, feel free. <laughs> So, I'm Helene Tyler, and I'm an associate professor of mathematics at Manhattan College, which is actually in the Riverdale section of the Bronx. I guess uh, to start out, uh, we need to we need to start with Courtney, I believe. Uh, what prompted you to write a math haiku in the first place? Well, on April 1st, in I guess 2013, when I wrote this haiku, I was writing my dissertation, or at least I was supposed to be writing my dissertation, and I was having just severe writer's block, uh, math writer's block. I couldn't figure out how to write down my main theorem, or like if my main theorem was a corollary to some other cooler theorem that I wanted to make the main theorem. So I decided the best thing to do would just be to write anything. And so I just like opened a text editor, and I was just like, whatever stream of consciousness and then I wrote this haiku and I was like that's the kind of stuff you put on Facebook and I don't think I got very much good dissertation writing done that day because then the haiku battle happened uh, when you when you put it on Facebook were you ex like was it did you just put the haiku on Facebook or or was there uh, like was there anything else that you put up there or was it just straight the haiku it was just straight the haiku I mean, like, I sort of expected, like, oh, Helene will like this, and you know, some <laughs> other algebra nerds will like this. You know, people who know what short Gorenstein rings are, or at least, like, what rings are, will be like, oh, yeah, haha, funny, it's a haiku. And that's really all I expected to happen. So, so uh, when when the uh, and it looks like probably uh, the the first person to respond, Sally's not on the the phone with us right now. But when Greg responded, it looks probably within like. 10 minutes or so with a with a haiku of his own like what what was your kind of response to that i was like oh doubling down i get it like i can i can do this all day i'd rather do this than write my dissertation so i decided like 
I'll I'll see your haiku, Greg Stevenson, and I'll raise you two haikus. So so Andrew, when you when you then saw this uh, around an hour after it started, and you just saw four four math haikus on Facebook, why was your initial response? Oh, I should do this too. Well, what other response could I have? Really? <laughs> There's a math haiku battle happening on Facebook. It's it's unavoidable. It's a sort of a black hole gravity well of, for a mathematician. Yeah, I mean, it, it's super fun, right? It's math haiku. That's <laughs> awesome. And, and then, H- Helene, you, you got, it seems like you were, you were a bit, I mean. I was a bit late to the party. That didn't, like, hold you back from then, like, becoming the main uh, secondary battler, it seems. So, for, for you, is it the oh, same? there's a very good reason for that. Well, what is the reason? I was grading that day. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever um, read the blog, Not That Kind of Doctor. There, there's a, a post that, that she wrote called The Five Stages of Grading, which sort of uh, models the five stages of grief. And I remember one of them is, is bargaining. For me, this haiku battle was exactly that. If I grade five business calculus exams, I can write another haiku. That's incredible. I didn't even like get to the bargaining stage of writing my PhD. I was just like, maybe this will shake something loose today. Maybe oh, one of these I, haikus will just be magically exactly what I need to make my dissertation happen. Well, uh, I'd already, you know, I'd given the exam the prior week, so I was already through denial and anger. <laughs> uh, I mean, I should say that I've been like writing my dissertation for like, you know, like close close to six months at this point. I'm, I should have been through denial. <laughs> Do you write poetry regularly? Is is that a thing as, as like maybe not math poetry all the time, but just haiku and other poetry? I wouldn't nope. say it's a, a regular thing for me, but there are some times where the job is so analytical and research is so analytical that my brain is, it like spontaneously creates these things. And I, it's like a little mini act of rebellion against being in the mathematician box all the time. It sort of makes me think of, you know, like there's this story, I don't know if it's true or not, but this sort of legend that at the NSA, they have a separate psychological profile for hiring mathematicians where you're allowed to be a little bit weirder and crazier than the general government working stiff and i'm like well okay here's an example of that math crazy coming out i uh, do do you uh, i mean do you legitimately think that there is that type of math crazy or is it just that uh be, we all have that crazy it's just that when you tie it together and do something that is so analytical in such a in such a different way that it seems weirder i mean i guess i like to imagine you know jackson pollock going home at the end of the day being like god damn it i just want to do a sudoku you know, like maybe that's how it is for people who get to be a little bit more creative in their day job. <laughs> so, so your idea is, if if you were if you were say a a literary author or or a poet full time or or a painter, that when you got back at the end of the day, all you would want to do is just prove just prove a theorem. Yeah, or like you know, just long division. Just like give me an algorithm to crank at for a while to just like just do this mechanical, almost like somewhat thoughtful but mostly just like there's a process that governs what I'm doing 
you know, as mathematicians, we're always trying to make it as, as lean as possible. Make our counterexamples as simple and precise as possible. Don't have any extraneous fluff in there that clouds the issue. Only say exactly what is necessary. And I think that is what is so beautiful about a haiku. We're all algebraists. Um, <laughs> and Greg is too. And I yeah. think there's something like very algebraic about form and structure. You know, like when I'm working with my research, I don't really, it's not like I'm like, oh, I've got, you know, like this polynomial and he's really special and I'll call him Fred and, you know, only care about him. I care about the, you the form. You call too? Yeah, I do. <laughs> 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 No, but it's like I care about how Fred plays with others. You know, like I care about the form and the operation and the structure and the consequences of the very, of the formalism. And a haiku is sort of this little mini workshop in form and structure where the words are nice, but only in the sense that they are in this form and structure. If I said one of these haikus as a sentence, you'd be like, oh, okay, she's just like blathering math again. But the fact that it's in that form lends it something. Who won? We all did. Yeah, I think it was in the end, the battle became just a celebration of math nerdery. <laughs> so, so mathematics won as a whole and, and everyone who got, to, who got to see this. Yes, definitely. That leaves, uh, leaves one thing that I, I need done here, which is of course a dramatic reading. <laughs> of course you do. I will start with the inaugural haiku then. Short Gorenstein rings. Symmetric, concise. They are algebra's haikus. All right, and then Greg, blah, blah, blah. I'm Greg, blah, blah. I'm awesome. Oi, okay. oi. <laughs> oi, oi. <laughs> I might just leave that in. I might not bother to contact him. <laughs> What did you say? He said he's going to leave that part in. <laughs> Sadly, I was unable to get a hold of Greg Stevenson to read his haiku for you. So I did what I thought the next best thing would be. I found a different Greg. Hello, I'm Greg Harries, and this is Greg Stevenson's haiku. A theorem in verse is worth two stated in prose. Also, Quite badass. Challenge accepted. There are lots of primes. In fact, an infinitude. A theorem inverse is a counterexample to theorems in prose. Suppose it is not. A contradiction follows. Therefore, it is so. And then I had to, I was, get, I was feeling a little bit insecure, so I had to like slap Andrew down a little bit. Oh, very clever. But I could do this all day, and I'm funnier. It's true. <laughs> and, and that was what I considered a challenge. So short and exact, your sequence is almost split. Auslander Wrighton. Hypersurfaces, where free resolutions are morally finite. Complex functions are so simple to integrate, if holomorphic. Irrational map seeks inverse to spice things up. Ah, variety. Okay, that one might be my favorite. <laughs> I, love, I do. I'm so proud of that one. I love that one. It's a personal ad. And yeah, a haiku really. about a 
Mandelbrot, beautiful iteration or crunchy cookie? Sierpinski's so square in comparison to the Julia fractals. This lemma belongs to Burnside, Frobenius, or perhaps Cauchy. I feel tempted to use that one in class in algebra. I'm like, this is one of those. <laughs> <laughs> the analyst's child had nightmares for years, dreaming of bowls of limb soup. Like sunbeams shining, Springer Yellow bathes my desk from the shelf above. It's Sophie's choice for the chalk dries my hands and the markers make me high. To sleep, perchance dream. Not in my classroom. Wake up. It's time for math, kids. My mother always said to choose the tame one, but I like the wild type. I love that one so much. <laughs> I absolutely... I mean, it partly was like, oh, I was looking at this, you know, ring with wild representation theory, and I just adored that one. I actually, I actually like wrote it down and put it on a post-it note and couldn't let it go. Uh, the post-it note, a mathematician's greatest tribute. It's true. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Here at UNL, the faculty's children play monoid, monoid group. <laughs> <laughs> this I thread, yeah, I no kidding. This thread has produced some fine jewels. Now I'm technically breaking the rules. Here's a limerick verse for today, April first. Fond farewell, my sweet April fools. Oh. Woo. Woo. <laughs> or am I supposed to be like uh, snapping, or maybe just like hitting uh, hitting the keys of a calculator really hard to make noise? Is that, is, that the, is that the proper way to express chalk on a board repeatedly? Oh yeah, that would be good. Uh, just hitting erasers together. Yeah, yeah. I was actually scrolling through Facebook, through my Facebook feed to find it to just see like how many spectators there were. Oh yeah, I guess I guess that would be true. I, I did not ask the most pertinent mathematical question. How many likes did everyone get? I don't remember. I I remember there weren't many. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the individual haiku, there weren't many, and I recall pretty much knowing anybody who liked it. Yeah, like I personally think knowing anybody who liked it. There were thirteen likes on my status, my short Gorenstein ring status. And then, you know, these 16 total comments. And I think the individual haikus, I think Greg did win. He got three likes, which was a, a high. Because he said ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he did. I assume that all of you wanted to tell somebody about this. What were other people's responses when you told them about what you did that day? The people I talked to were the people who saw me every day, roughly. So it was like, yeah, you know, I worked on my dissertation at the coffee house. I flirted with the cute barista. I wrote some math haikus, and then I worked on my dissertation some more, and then I went home and went to sleep. And they were like, oh, yeah, typical Courtney day. 
you, you know, that might be the most shocking thing about all of this uh, is that no one was surprised. Not that it happened. Not that the haiku uh, are the some of them are, are legitimately good pieces of poetry. The fact that no one at all no, was the least bit little, surprised yeah, no, that it happened. Like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. That's nice, Courtney. Good yeah. job. <laughs> Pat on the head. Aren't you darling, you weird little math nerd? <laughs> Yeah, I think I told my husband, and he just sort of shook his head at me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like you know, my dad is on Facebook, and and he was like, "I saw you wrote about math today." It's <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, you know, like every day. <laughs> I think anyone who has a mathematician in their life knows to expect this kind of thing from time to time. When you are going to put put this live, I bet each of us could write a new math haiku and tweet it. That that would be great, and I will I will be that, sure. That would uh, require me to get on Twitter. Oh come on, Helene. Or you a, or you can put it on Facebook. Thing. You just have to write a new one. <sighs> uh, you can if you want. You can put it on LinkedIn. You could. Oh, that hurt, Helene. <laughs> that could, hurt. Oh, that's going in, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I might be able to keep that one. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> hey, just popping in again to tell you a little bit more about the Season 3 Kickstarter. I told you at the start about some of the show topics to look forward to in the new season, and now I want to tell you about the most important thing, the Kickstarter rewards. You can get a Rel Prime pin so that everyone who sees you knows that you know what the coolest mathematics podcast is. You can get access to a bonus feed where I'm going to put up full interviews and outtakes and other stuff that you won't be able to find anywhere else. You could be the person reading the credits at the end of an episode. You can get a Kickstarter exclusive This Is For Math notebook. That's that's literally what it says in the front of the notebook. This is for math. Because, I mean, that's what notebooks are for, right? And you can even get me. That's right, me, the host, Samuel Hanson. You can get me for a day. Or for a little bit more than a day if, if that's what you need. I mean, I'm going to come to wherever you are and, and do your chores or cook you a wonderful meal or give a week-long seminar on mathematical storytelling and podcast creation at your university. As I said, if it's, you know, a good enough thing, I'll, I'll stay for more than, more than one day. I will do any of those things. Really, I will do whatever you want. Really, anything. I mean, as long as it's legal. It, it does have to be legal. Anything you want, as long as it's legal. And there's a ton of other rewards, and you can see them all if you go to the Relatively Prime Season 3 page on Kickstarter. Or you can just go to relprime.com slash kickstarter. Or just relprime.com and click on the Kickstarter link at the top of the page. Any of those ways, you can see all the awesome rewards you can get if you back Relatively Prime Season 3 on Kickstarter. And remember, if you want more episodes, you need to pledge your support. Because if the Kickstarter doesn't get funded, 
then I'm not going to be able to make any more of the show. And we really don't want that, do we? So please, please back the show. I want to keep making this. I want all of you to keep on getting these wonderful mathematical stories and to get all of these super cool rewards that I have set up for you. Once again, it's relprime.com slash kickstarter. I want to thank you all for all the support I know you're going to give me. I know every single one of you right now is going to back the Kickstarter. Right now, at this moment, you're pausing the show and you're backing the Kickstarter. And for all of you who already have, you are so awesome. And everyone who's going to at the end of the show or in a few days, you are just as awesome. Really, thank you. And now, more Diegetic Plots, Chapter 2. Got it in one. So, once again, a less than successful grant application. Number Sense Evolution, February 27th, 2005. There is much evidence for a stronger number sense than previously hypothesized in animals ranging from monkeys to bears to fish. And much work has been done in measuring the development of number sense in human children. We are proposing to take this research even further by studying the complete evolution of number sense in a species, from its initial appearance in the beginning of life, to its peak during maturation, to its decline at the end of life. Such an ambitious study would seem to need its time frame measured in decades, if not centuries, except that our study subject will be the mayfly. With a lifespan that varies from only 30 minutes to one day, we expect to be able to finish our study in a matter of days after funding is received. But why didn't anyone fund that? A few days? Come on, that would cost like 20 bucks. I got, I got a 20 in my pocket. Come on, let's figure out how those mayflies count. Our next diversion is called Continuum, and it again features Etta Devine and Rob Schultz, this time as Murphy and Doc, respectively. Continuum was written by Rob, with a tiny, tiny bit of help from me. Hey, let me get you some water. Thanks, Doc. Now, Murphy, go ahead and have a sip, and I'd like you to rank the flavor of the water on a continuum from one to 10, where one represents Euler's identity, and the 10 represents, let's say, dividing by zero. What do you think? What? Dividing by zero? Oh dear, a 10. I'll have to speak with my assistant about that. Oh, no, no, I mean, it's maybe only a five? Mm, nonetheless. So, you understand how our system works? I think so. Fantastic. Now then, I understand you aren't the most popular kid on the playground. Well, not exactly, but then <laughs> the university doesn't actually have a playground, you know? It's a metaphor, Murphy. On a continuum from 1, real life, to 10, the works of Isaac Newton. A metaphor would be a solid 6.6. .6. Let's try again. Tell me how you're feeling today. Well, I'm just kind of... No, no, no. Use a continuum. Let's say it's from 1 to 10, where 1 is assistant lecturer and 10 is adjunct. <laughs> okay, but I'm not embarrassed or ashamed, huh? Unfortunately, Murphy, life is rarely so cut and dry. Simply choose a number that you feel best demonstrates where you stand on the continuum. Oh, oh, I see. So I guess if I'm not a lecturer, 
or an adjunct, I'm equally both. So I'll say five again. Hmm, that five again. You don't seem like an assistant professor to me, Murphy. Thank you. Are you thinking these over, or do you just like that number five? I think I'd give it a five on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> sure, a lot of people would. But did you know that if we arrange the numbers, one through ten, based on ratings collected from a sample of 613 people, the number five would be eight, and the fifth number would be two. That's confusing. Is it? Uh, I thought it was interesting myself. It's both, I guess. Say we had a continuum ranging from 5 to 14, where 5 is confusion and 14 is interest. Where would you place that fact? Of course, the 12 is surprise, but I should warn you, Murphy. The 7 represents lust. Beware the wiles of the heart. Uh, 9? Curiously shocking. And what if I told you that the fact was a lie? Uh, 6? Shockingly curious. So you find lies to be not only confusing, but sexy. It's not a good scale. It can't be higher. I'm not that surprised. I see. I'd like to hear your opinion on sliding scales versus weighted voting systems. But of course, this is your session, and we haven't even gotten to your dreams yet. In order to save time, try to visualize a point in three-dimensional space, answering the first question on the x-axis with the traditional ten-point scale, describing your dreams on the y-axis with any number between negative six and 212, which would obviously indicate some kind of endless nightmare world where even numbers are prime, and since today is divisible by one-half, let's let the z-axis represent your opinion on zeta functions. 14-point scale, starting at number 17 for Riemann was a delight, 18 for Riemann was superb, 19 for Riemann was splendid, and so on. Okay, there are like nine things wrong with that. First, isn't the z-axis imaginary? Why does it start at 17? 9, 1, and 17. Right about here, then. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page on voting systems. Sorry to hear that you've been having night terrors. I'm glad you like the zeta functions. I just mean that 17 is a ridiculous... I agree. I have always admired primes. No, these aren't good systems. What number would I have picked if I didn't like zeta whatevers? Are you calling Riemann a liar? Yes, but no, it's just that a 17... <laughs> That's enough, Murphy. We're not here to discuss German mathematicians, after all. Let's talk about those dreams. Uh, okay. Uh... I'm always wearing the same pair of gray and blue shoes in my dreams, even though it's not a pair I own in real life. Are they comfortable? I don't know. Say on a scale from 2 to the 1st, I can't believe it, to 2 to the 10th, I'm walking on air. How would you- 6! How about 6? Really? I'll be straight with you, Murphy. Nobody's ever chosen a 6 on this scale before. Why, it's not even defined. On a scale of 1, not 6, to 10, 6, this is off the charts. Really? off the charts? It's not just 10 or, or 6 or whatever? Mm, it's certainly more 6 than any other number in the scale. Except maybe 12, which is twice as 6. Oh yeah? Well, where is it on a scale of 1 for hand grenade to 10 Huckleberry Finn? 3. Computational solution for the Navier-Stokes equation. Where is this anger coming from, Murphy? Is it the night terrors? This is the attitude of a 4. Be a 12! You know what? This isn't working. I need someone who will listen to me, not rate my attitude. All right, Murphy, but I'm going to need you to evaluate our session before you can leave. Let's rate your satisfaction on a scale of your distance from me, with this room representing unsatisfied, anywhere outside the building and beyond representing incredibly satisfied. <laughs> hmm, that's good news indeed.
already read these. Already, ugh. There it is. The last one. This is the last less than successful grant application summary. Oh, and this is a recent one. Platonic Exploration, December 9th, 2015. It's long been thought that the mathematical objects upon which we work are simply reflections on a cave wall of the ideal form of such objects. We are seeking funding to take 10 of the world's premier spelunkers on a search for this cave. There are 15 caves which we have identified as likely candidates through the use of an algorithm which searches for caves sharing similar traits to Plato's original description. Once we have found the cave, we plan to remove the ideal mathematical objects from the dark and bring them into the light of day so that all mathematicians can finally gaze on the exact things with which they work. According to our spelunkers, it should take less than six months to search all 15 caves. So if you decide to approve our grant, by next June, you will be able to say that you were part of the group who finally perfected mathematics. What? Really? Some... God, that's it. Show over. Show over. I can't... I can't do this. Can't do this one anymore. Oh, that is so dumb. Before we call an end to this chapter of Diegetic Plots, I want to play for you a song. It's called The Ballad of Roan Hamilton, and it was written by Jack Gannon, a resident of the Cabra neighborhood of Dublin, and it's performed by my friends Jess and Frank Charlton. I want to play this song for you for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's a beautiful song about beautiful mathematics, and I really think y'all will dig it. And secondly, it is an amazing teaser for an episode that I want to make for you in the third season of Relatively Prime. As I said at the start, this is the final episode of the second season. And as I'm sure that you know from the bit at the very, very beginning, or the bit in the middle, or the bits in the previous few episodes, we are currently trying to raise money for the third season on Kickstarter. And if you like this song, and I guarantee you will, then please head over to Kickstarter and toss a few dollars in so you'll be able to hear the story, which goes along with it. It features mathematical vandalism, travel to the moon, Lara Croft, and algebra being broken free from the shackles of arithmetic. In other words, you really want to hear this story. But that's only going to happen if the Kickstarter gets funded. So please go to relprime.com kickstarter and make sure that it does. And now, The Ballad of Roan Hamilton. No 
twos or threes It had to be Quaternion equations Many were the grateful ones They thought it was a pity That on Shejits and the rest Were foremost in the city Hi-ho, Hamilton Road, ye save the Irish nation. No twos or threes, it had to be quaternion equations. I squared equals J squared equals K squared equals I, J, K. This all equals minus one, Roan Hamilton was heard to say. Hi-ho, Hamilton Road, he saved the Irish nation. No twos or threes, it had to be. Quaternion equations. So praise the gallant scientists who favor rhyme and reason. At Broombridge, you can see it there. It always is in season. Hello, this is Laura from Silver Spring. I'm the owner of the closet Sam recorded his intro in. That is all the time we have for this episode of Relatively Prime. I would like to thank Colin Adams, Etta Devine, Gabriel Diani, Takura McCullough, Rob Schultz, Helene Tyler, Courtney Gibbons, Andrew Gaynor-Dewar, and Greg Harries for appearing on the show. If you would like to know more about them, please go to relprime.com and check out the show notes for this episode. I also want to thank Broke for Free, Super Milk, Jack Gannon, and Jess and Frank Charlton for the music that you heard. You can also find links to more music from them on realprime.com. Relatively Prime is a production of Acme Science and Samuel Hansen, with support from all of his wonderful backers on Kickstarter, like me. If you would like to support Relatively Prime, please back the Kickstarter for Season 3. I already have. You can do that by going to Kickstarter and searching Relatively Prime or by just typing relprime.com slash Kickstarter into your browser's address bar. And if you have any feedback or you just want to say hello to Samuel, you can send him an email at his personal email account, samuel at acmescience.com. This is the email account I use to talk to him almost every day. Finally, while the interviews in this episode of Relatively Prime are licensed with their Creative Commons attribution share alike license, the authors reserve all rights for the sketches which appeared on, in this episode. If you want to reproduce or otherwise use their work, please contact the authors to ask for their permission. Thank you for listening. Have a math-terrific week, and don't forget to support Season 3 of Relatively Prime. Thanks! Good job. Good job plugging. <laughs>